hear these words from Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So it's a short passage today, and it reminds us that the Lord is near. It tells us that, that the same Jesus that we're learning and, and really growing to understand on a deeper level is still present. Maybe not in the physical form that they knew him in the Bible times, but he is present with us in the Holy Spirit that we all share. He is present with us, and more importantly, nearer than we think. So this isn't really a talk about metaphysical matters or anything like that, but it's the reality that, that heaven and the place where Jesus is enthroned right now, sitting on the Father's throne, is, is a... Uh, is a place that we don't really know exactly where it is, but we know that it's not far. <laughs> it's very close. And maybe today we're even thinking about people we love who have gone to be there with God, and, and we just don't know really how close they are. But the Bible tells us much nearer than we think. So with that in mind, the nearness of Jesus, we talk about taking some time to just really focus on what it is like to live a life based on the nearness of God and the nearness of Christ. Jesus has made us, in effect, his nearest form of connection for others. Have you thought about that? Do you realize that if the Spirit of God indwells you, if the Spirit of Christ is in you, then you are, in all senses, closer to being the presence of Christ in front of someone else than anything else they can encounter. Does that make sense? Think about that for a minute. If the Spirit of Christ is in you and you are standing across from me, then I'm as close to Jesus as you. That's the idea of the body of Christ. And so for a season, the church is the body of Christ or the very nearness of Christ in our presence right now. We're the body of Christ. Some of us maybe do it better than others, or at least that's what we're tempted to think. But regardless of that, the nearness of Christ is as close as you and me. The person sitting next to you who has accepted Christ and welcomed the life-transforming nature of spiritual change that comes through the Holy Spirit. We are his body. The Lord is near. The other way we think of the Lord as being near is, is, is as if he's been on a journey and he's on his way back. Now, that's a little harder to, to sell because it's not exactly what I mean, but it's something we call imminency. The imminency, imminency of Christ is a, is a word that describes the certainty of a thing. The imminency means it's going to happen. It's just a question of when. It's not if, but when. And so we know that Christ is coming again, that he literally will physically be present on earth again, that he, in fact, will come and rule. And we know this is true because the Bible says it, and we trust the Bible to be true in all things. And therefore, we understand that 
we may live to see this happen or we may die and see it from a different point of view, but it's going to happen. And so there's a sense of his nearness in that his arrival could happen at any moment. And so knowing that, how do you choose to live? Knowing that, how do you choose to live your life if it means that at any second you might be found doing or being something and then Jesus is there to witness it? Puts a different perspective on some of our behaviors, doesn't it? And so we want, as, as Paul says in this letter, to live our lives in such a way that we are always rejoicing and living I love this 14-letter word, reasonableness. <laughs> I looked at the word on the page and I thought, my goodness, what a long word. So I counted the letters as 14 letters. Reasonableness. Can we all focus on living with reasonableness? You know, can we be people, I don't know, can you be reasoned with? I'm afraid I've met a few people over the years who aren't easy to reason with, but that's another discussion. And so... This is about a choice we're going to make, say, for 2019. About living with joy. Living in a way that says the Lord is near and I know it. I know that he's not far from me so I should live as though he's standing next to me. And I know that he's physically going to rule this world and it could happen at any moment. So I want to live like that. That's the idea in today's theme. Now I want to take a minute and explain something we're going to do a little later, which means I have to do a little bit of instruction about the Wesleys, John and Charles. And whenever I start talking about John and Charles Wesley and our United Methodist heritage, I can always imagine people out there saying, oh no, we're not going to listen to a lecture about ancient church history, are we? We're not going to talk about some old British guy that doesn't matter anymore, are we? Well, you know what's really funny is, is as much as you want to hear about lively and biblical Christianity, they wanted it too, and that's actually why we're talking about them right now. Because John and Charles were really tired of a boring, dull, lifeless religion that was just going through the motions every Sunday, and nobody was really changed, and nothing about their religion made a difference. In fact, they would say that their church wasn't very vital to the well-being of the community at all. And it really bothered them. Because they were looking for something more lively and real. And so even though all of this happened about 300 years ago, we are still talking about it because they are still calling from the grave, so to speak. Don't forget that this is about the Bible and the Holy Spirit. And so today we will use his words in our prayer later because... These guys that started this thing that we now call the United Methodist Church, they had it right. They really did. And so much so that I think if people today, especially lifelong United Methodists, were to witness what was going on under the preaching of, Charles, or of, <laughs> the preaching of John and the singing of Charles, it probably would frighten you a little bit because as a certain pastor friend of mine 
from a second Baptist church in Chicago likes to say, you Methodists are the frozen chosen. And you know what's funny? That was so far from who we started out being. The United Methodist Church is a pretty, well, sedate bunch for the most part, but there was a time in the beginning of the, the Methodist movement when, as John Wesley says, I preached in the Moorfields to about 10,000 and at Kennington Commons to about 20,000. And at both places I described the real difference between what is generally called Christianity and the true old Christianity. Which under the new name of Methodism is now also everywhere spoken against. You know, he really rattled the establishment. In fact, John Wesley, when he was preaching real old Christianity, it would be so offensive to the stodgy establishment that they wouldn't let him come into the church anymore. They wouldn't let him near their churches. And so John would find a tree stump or a box or something somewhere near the church and he'd just start preaching from there. And he would preach the old Christianity. And hundreds would come and church leaders and politicians would hire ruffians to throw tomatoes and manure and stones and other things at him to try to shut him up. Nevertheless, he kept preaching the same old Christianity, the same spirit-filled, Bible-based Christianity. And consequently, they changed their country. Eventually, their whole country changed. They did away with slavery before America did because in part of the Wesleyan Methodist movement. Now what happened unfortunately was the Methodists got so big, the movement grew so fast that it outgrew the reach of John and Charles and so they, they planned for that and prepared for that and they tried to keep the principles constant throughout the growth of this movement. They didn't seek to start a new religion, they just wanted to revive the old religion. But inevitably it turned into something in and of itself. And this is why Charles and John often fret over what would become of this new religion of theirs. Charles, or excuse me, John said they should probably, he said he was really worried about the Methodist church becoming a dead sect having the form of religion without the power. And this undoubtedly will be the case unless they hold fast both to the doctrine, the spirit, and the discipline with which they first set out. So in 1786, as John Wesley's reflecting on this movement that has turned into a religion, his biggest fear is that it will just turn into a, another dead religion. And my friends, as far as I'm concerned, it's happened. Near as I can tell. And don't think that I'm speaking of you specifically, but if John Wesley saw what has become of his movement that was spirit-driven and Bible-based, I feel sure he would say that his worst fears were realized. In order to offset that problem, you may have noticed that I stay closely to Scripture in the preaching and the teaching and the leadership of the church. And there's something else I've been doing every year that I've been a pastor. 
and it is to recite the words of John Wesley's covenant prayer, which we're not going to do yet, but we will in a moment. Because this was the heart of the man, and the words are just that powerful. So if we're going to live this passage that I started with, rejoicing in the Lord always, then that means we express a confidence in God. We express thanksgiving regularly because otherwise we're tempted to spend a lot of time feeling sorry for ourselves and worrying about things. I don't know if you've noticed, but over the last year or so, in our popular culture, I've seen a lot of Christians wringing their hands and complaining at how much the world is rejecting Christianity and rejecting good Christian values and, and, and how the whole thing is just turning against Christians and all of that. And, and my answer to that is, is, just knock it off. Rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice. There's only one heart that you can have a major part in changing, and it's your own. Why do we spend so much time fretting and worrying over what other people are doing and how we can change their hearts? What if it turned out that simply living as though we've been changed, truly transformed by the Spirit of God, what if that were the catalyst that brought about change in the world around us? In 2019, I want to propose to you that if you'll live out this scripture, you can be someone who is different, and that very difference will put you at odds with some, just as it happened with John and Charles. There may be those who throw stones at you, or manure, or rotten potatoes, or something. But eventually, as with the Wesleys, it could bring about national change. You see, they didn't try to change their country, they simply tried to change their own hearts. And it started with the hearts of John and Charles. These were two guys who had been raised in their religion, who were highly educated and intelligent guys, but they couldn't understand why what was in their head didn't translate to their hearts. And they realized that it was the Holy Spirit. And when they welcomed the Holy Spirit and they started just kind of letting things happen, to themselves. Uh, they, instead of trying to change others, they just concentrated on how God was changing them. That's when they became different in such a way that it profoundly changed their impact on others. So what I'm going to do is challenge you this coming year to devote yourself to being changed by God's grace and the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Don't worry so much about what other people are doing right or wrong. Don't worry about the nation. Don't worry about the county or the city or the school or the workplace. Don't worry so much about that. Take a good hard look at yourself. Am I letting the Holy Spirit guide my life? Am I devoting all of my energy to being obedient and faithful to God? And am I confident enough to rejoice always, knowing that because of what God does through me, I'll probably be a little bit different to some of the people who used to know me as a certain sort of person 
living a certain way? And will I prefer to be acceptable in the eyes of God, even if it makes me less acceptable in the eyes of my peers? That's a hard pill to swallow. It will come with risk. But I ask you in all sincerity, do you want more of what you're seeing out there in the world, or do you want more of what you're seeing when we're all here in the spirit of Christ being the body of Christ? If you want more of this, then you have to take this out there. And you have to bring that in here and let it get exposed to our troubling condition. In other words, we have to be contagious. What if you just allow yourself to be completely afflicted, inflicted, infused, whatever you want to call it. If you're so filled with the Holy Spirit and so sure that you trust God in all things, in all ways, at all times, if you can live that way seven days a week, then yeah, some will criticize you and some will doubt you, but others will be attracted to you. And it isn't for that that you do it. You do it because it's just God at work in you. Just focus on yourself. That's the heart of this covenant prayer. Now, I'm going to ask him to put it on the screen for you. I've also put paper copies out at tables and in some of the chairs around you. Because I don't know about you, but when I'm standing in the front row and I have to look up at that screen, it's really hard to see. So I put paper out there in case you have trouble seeing it up there. Now, I'm going to give you a second to look at these words. I want you to look at them. Because I want to challenge you. I, I know you're not signing anything here today, but the Lord's listening. The Lord is near. We just talked about the nearness of the Lord. The Lord is as near as the spirit-filled Christian sitting next to you. Would you say these words? I want you to think about it as an oath or a statement of faith that you intend to keep. Because... It's that serious. You could say the prayers and go through the motions as though we're part of a dead religion, or you could say these words as though you are ready to spend the next year being more than God, more than you thought you could be because God is at work in you. That's, that's what we are hoping. And then when we say these words together, I hope, as, especially as you say the last few words, that you will really feel the power and the impact of these words. If you don't want to do it, don't. But I'm going to go ahead and say the words now once again for myself, and you're welcome to read aloud along with me. I am no longer my own, but thine. Put me to what thou wilt. Rank me with whom thou wilt. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed for thee, or laid aside for thee, exalted for thee, or brought low for thee. Let me be full, let me be empty, let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to thy pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Thou art mine, and I am thine. So be it, 
and the covenant which I have made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. I hope that's a life changer for you. I know the first time I prayed it, it changed my life. And you know, just between you and me, I don't always wait until the first of the year. You can dial that up in your United Methodist hymnal and read it anytime you want. You can Google it and it'll come up. Or you can have one of these printed copies and take it home with you.